AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Glad you are listening. And, uh, you know, we have a, a really interesting 25 minutes uh, conversation here with three different guests, two in studio, one on the phone, talking about an event uh, that is coming up later this month, March 26, uh, 8 a.m. to 4.40 p.m. It's the Do No Harm Conference, which is uh, put on jointly by the Catholic Pro-Life Community and also the Catholic Medical Guild of Dallas, and I have in studio with me Jacqueline Smith, who serves as Education Director for the CPLC, and she sounds like this. Hi, Jacqueline. Greetings. All right, and also Dr. Jeff Thompson, who is a local nephrologist, a doctor, and uh, he is here in studio as well. Dr. Thompson, thank you for being here. Hello. And what exactly is your role with the uh, the, the conference? Um, well, I'm the president of the Catholic Medical Guild. Oh, okay, good. We're Catholic- sponsoring it. Okay, and uh, there's some great featured speakers. In fact, we are going to feature one of the featured speakers during this interview, none other than uh, Jason Everett, founder of the Chastity Project, and you've probably heard him on Catholic Answers many times, especially back in the day, and he joins us uh, via phone as well. So we're going to talk to Jason for about 10 minutes uh, exclusively, and then we're going to bring on our local guests and do some of the nuts and bolts of the the conference and some of the other speakers as well. So, uh, Jason, thanks so much for joining us. Good to talk with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so uh, tell us about your work overall. I, I think most Catholic radio listeners are, are very familiar with you. It's it, it's staggering and amazing to me to think of how many young people in particular you get in front of, oftentimes in, you know, in person, face-to-face, every year in your travel. Uh, can you kind of just give us a little bit of background about yours and also uh, your, your wife, Kristalina's work? Yeah, yeah, we've been um, traveling around speaking on the subject of chastity at high schools and universities for the past 25 years. So each year we speak to about 100,000 kids. And then after the talks, we tell the kids, hey, if you guys need to hang out and talk, uh, we'll be here to listen. Um, give that invitation to high school in New York. And the kids formed a line seven hours long mm-hmm. after the talk. You know, and they come up and I, I hear all their confessions. I don't absolve anybody, but I, I hear it all, <laughs> and, you know. And, and so, we, 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 in a sense, we've got our finger in a bit, quite a bit on the pulse of what's going on with today's teens and what they're struggling with from topics of internet pornography from guys and girls to gender identity issues. And, uh, and so we run the website chastity.com. My wife runs one called womenmadenew.com on how to start over um, and just bringing them the good news of God's plan for human sexuality. Yeah. And obviously this conference uh, coming up, Do No Harm Conference, specifically about a Catholic approach to sexual identity. I mean, this fits in really well with uh, the kind of things you talk about. And so uh, do you know yet what your particular topic is going to be or, or what, how, what is your involvement going to be in this No Harm Conference? Yeah, my main focus is on the topic of gender with the young people and, you know, and how do we help them to navigate through all these tough issues. I met a girl and she pulled out her cell phone. She looked at look, I'm going to Stanford University in the fall. And she said, check it out here. I have to pick my gender on the college application. And she started scrolling through the list. There were 18 genders to pick from, but male and female weren't even options on the list. Wow. And so, and 18 is conservative. I mean, Facebook is over 50 now. Tumblr, which is a website where a lot of the kids are spending the time, has 500 genders. <laughs> and so kids really need some language to understand this. And even the educators are like, how do we form policies you know, that can minister to the pastoral needs of this kid and their family 
without compromising Catholic values? And, and how do we understand, like, what is gender and what does non-binary mean? And so, you know, so it's really a, a workshop to help people to understand what is gender dysphoria, you know, what is going on in culture, and, and what is the authentic Catholic understanding of what it means to be human. Yeah, what an important topic. And you, you know, you've been doing this, uh, you and your wife, for decades now. Uh, go back to, you know, I don't know how far we go back, 15, 20 years. I, I think you were involved maybe back then at some level. How has it changed? Did anybody ever back then come up to you and talk about these gender issues? How much more prevalent is it now, and in your estimation, why? Well, the game changer was the phone. That's what made things different. Because these kids that are uh, struggling with uh, the common name given to it now is rapid onset gender dysphoria, where you have uh, typically an adolescent girl, 13 to 17 years old, who doesn't have a pre-existing history of childhood gender dysphoria, who suddenly comes out with four of her friends. I'm trans. I'm trans. So am I. And they typically don't have a lot of dating history. Uh, they're spending a massive amount of time in this kind of theoretical headspace on Tumblr and Reddit and YouTube and Instagram, just reading about all these varieties, different sexual identities. And a lot of these girls just want to not have to live under this pressure of enormous weight of what it means to be a woman today. You know, you've got to be sexy, but you've got to be a spotless virgin. And you've got to be this, but don't be too assertive. But, I mean, and someone just want out, and they're like, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, if that's what human sexuality is, what these sophomore boys are offering me, count me out. And so, so many of them are looking for this identity as a piece, not so much of these girls that want to become men, but girls who don't even want to be women anymore mm. because of what that means from what they're seeing online. And so... Um, you know, it, it is pandemic. It's not just an American thing. Over in England, the Tavistock Gender Clinic, which is their main gender clinic, saw maybe 70 girls there back in, I think it was 2007. Then within a decade, it had skyrocketed 2,500 with 3,000 on the waiting list. And if you want to break your heart, get on GoFundMe.com and click on Top Surgery, which is a, a radical double mastectomy. How many girls are on GoFundMe right now asking for donations to have surgeries to have their breasts removed? 40,000 of them mm, right now. My goodness. And I'm sure you have parents that come up to you after conferences as well, and they're just like heartbroken. You know, did I do something wrong? You know, what should I have done differently? What do you say to parents who, whose kids you know, come to them and say, I don't think I'm a boy or a girl. I don't know what I am. I'm this or that. Uh, what, what's your message to parents? Well, step number one, don't freak out. And don't start just quoting, hey, Genesis says this. Don't freak out. Um, don't get overly rigid on them. This is going to be a marathon. Walk with them. Listen to them. Tell me, when did you start feeling this? Because that conversation is so important that you don't just try to convince them that they're not what they think they are, that, okay, well, tell me, I want to listen. I want to accompany you. I want to walk with you on this. And then in the meantime, get doing your homework and start reading and researching. You could get books like When Harry Became Sally by Ryan Anderson or Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage. And to really kind of understand where, where is this coming from and, and, and exchange information. Now, now, where are you learning about this? And, oh, I watched this Blair White video on YouTube. Oh, well, who's that? I, I'd like to watch that, too, but I want to learn where you're coming from. They need to feel heard. And so that is first and foremost. This is going to be a marathon. It's not going to be a debate. Oh, I'm going to give them this perfect point, and it's going to change their mind. More often than not, 
gender dysphoria is kind of one point on a constellation of many other issues going on in their life. Often there's high-functioning autism in the girls. You've got anxiety. You've got depression, sometimes a history of trauma or sexual abuse. And oftentimes it's not girls or guys trying to, like, deconstruct gender and, you know, clearing the binary, what they're talking about. No, more often than not, these kids are just trying to survive. They're just trying to discover their identity, a sense of community, a sense of belonging. And if their LGBT group at their public high school says, hey, we love you, we welcome you. And then at home, it's like, well, you're crazy. You're just immature. This is just a phase. What they're really looking for is that identity and community. And so they need to understand their primary community is the family. Their identity is a beloved child of God. And we transmit these things not by means of a debate, but by a lasting relationship. And so... Focus on the relationship element and then do your homework and buy yourself some time instead of thinking, hey, we need to put these kids on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and surgeries and all the things that are getting promoted out there by gender affirmative care. Take your time, take a deep breath, and listen well. Yeah. You know, one thing, uh, Jason Everett, by the way, my guest, uh, just have a couple more minutes with him. Uh, we also have in studio uh, Jacqueline Smith uh, from the CPLC and also Dr. Jeff Thompson as well, uh, who is representing the Catholic Medical Guild of Dallas. And uh, we're going to bring them in on the conversation in just a moment. One of the things that I find um, really kind of mind-boggling, uh, Jason, is the, the way that the, the media, you know, uh, the, the most of the power people in our country, in our world are, are bought into this, despite the damage that it's doing to kids, despite the damage. I mean, look at, look at women's sports. I mean, it's just uh, this, this Lila Thomas, you know, dominating because, you know, uh, he's, you know, you know, swimming as a woman. Uh, and, and I, I, I just don't understand where we see the damage. We see it's not the confusion. But they're still bought in. What, what, what is, do you, what is your, in your opinion, behind so much support from the secular world in, in what seems to be not such a, a good thing? Well, this is going to be a bit of a tsunami. And what I mean by that is when a tsunami hits, the first thing that happens is the shoreline goes out, like the lowest low tide you've ever seen. And if people don't know that that's a sign of tsunamis coming, they'll typically go walk out. Oh, look at this. Hey, there's some coral reef. I've never found this seashell before. But the people who know what's about to happen head inland and get up as high as fast as they can. And so right now, everybody's kind of out to sea with this thing. It's like, oh, hey, if you're, you're trans, then you're trans. We'll go with that. You know, don't want to offend. But there is a wave coming to shore right now that's hitting of detransitioners of people who are saying, look, I went ahead. I got the radical double mastectomy. I took the puberty blockers. I did all this stuff, and it didn't take away my problems. It only gave me more problems. They're starting YouTube channels, websites, ministries, telling people, cool off, take your time, don't jump into these things. And just on a societal level, the chaos that's starting to happen, I mean, there are more than 44 states right now where male prisoners are being transferred into female prisons because they're saying, look, I identify as female. And they're putting guys in women's prisons, and there's sexual assault, there's pregnancy going on. Over in England right now, they're even categorizing crime according to gender identity, not biological sex. And as a result, the majority of quote-unquote female sex offenders in England now are biologically male individuals. You've got men trying to go into domestic violence shelters for women, saying, I identify as a woman, and I want to spend the night here with these women. And the women are saying, look, no, 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 no. I don't want a man in my room. And the, the shelters are saying, well, look, we're federally funded. And under the federal guidelines, 
gender identity is the same thing as sex. And if we discriminate against this quote unquote trans person, then we could lose our federal funding. So you can either spend the night with this man or you can go live out on the streets. And some women are choosing to be homeless instead of this. So the rights, the attacks of women, man, uh, I mean, <laughs> nature in a sense will have its vengeance if yeah. we try to go against who God has created. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, uh, amazing. It's so sad. It seems like with every one of these things from abortion to this uh, gender confusion, the women, the females get the short end of the stick on all of it. I mean, it just it, and, and then you got the Me Too movement. <laughs> it's all so contradictory. Uh, anyways, Jason Everett, great information. I could talk to you for an hour. I know uh, we're going to move on and talk to our in-studio guest. Jason Everett, founder of Chastity Project, is uh, one of the featured speakers at the Do No Harm Conference coming up uh, March 26th. It's going to be at St. Rita Catholic Church in Dallas. It's also going to be offered as a live stream. You can go to donoharmconference.org, Do No Harm Conference, to find out more about Jason and the conference at large. Jason, thanks uh, so much for being on with us. Great to talk with you. It's a pleasure being on. Look forward to being there soon. Thank you so much. All right, Jason Everett, let's turn to our in-studio guest that I, I mentioned before, representing the Catholic Medical Guild of Dallas, Dr. Jeff Thompson, a local nephrologist. Uh, thanks for being here again, Dr. Thompson. And uh, Jacqueline Smith, Executive Director of, uh, let's see, of, wait, no, Education no, no, Director. No. <laughs> whoa, hold on. Don't I, get I, me in trouble, I, 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 put, I put Ed Director, and I, 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 okay, I read Executive Director, so no, no, Education Director <laughs> of the CPLC here. Uh, thanks again for being here. Uh, Dr. Thompson, let me start with you. Um, Catholic Medical Guild of Dallas, uh, tell us about that, your involvement with it, and why um, you and this organization thinks that this conference is an important thing uh, for people to attend. So the Catholic Medical Guild of Dallas is a group of healthcare professionals um, who are Catholic. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's fairly uh, straightforward, and we, we, uh, we value our Catholic faith, and um, we, we wish to practice medicine um, according to our Catholic faith. And so we've uh, banded together. Um, we used to be called the Catholic Physicians Guild of Dallas, but that was kind of a narrow focus, just uh, physicians. And so we've, uh, um, in our, so we've expanded uh, to mm -hmm. include all healthcare professionals. And, you know, as a nephrologist, obviously the, the issues being discussed at this conference may not directly impact your particular, uh, you know, vocation as a doctor. But, and, and, and there's a part of me that's thinking like a lot of people don't even want to go there. You know, we don't want to talk about this. Too controversial. Doctors just need to, you know, uh, do this. Uh, is, what, what is the, I, I guess the, the the Catholic Medical Guild of Dallas. Do you see this as a really important topic for the health and well being of, of people overall, body and soul? Right. This is vitally important. I mean, we we see uh, in the upcoming election, it's uh, become an issue with uh, Governor Abbott and Attorney General Paxton calling um, gender affirming care child abuse. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I would use that term it's too uh harsh i believe um, um and with with the uh ut southwestern and children's closing their um clinic their genesis clinic um and with groups of doctors uh, um, opposing uh their closing the clinic uh it's a uh it's a this is a extremely topical um uh Subject, and yeah. uh, as we've heard from Jason Everett, um, something we really need to know more about, and 
I'm really glad Jason's coming. Yeah. Talk to us. The website, donoharmconference.org. Again, the uh, education director of the CPLC, Jacqueline Smith, here as well. Jacqueline, I think most people, when they think of the CPLC, they think, oh, they're the ones that uh, you know, you know, are against abortion, which certainly you are and we are. Uh, but I, I, I always find interesting that, that this conference really ties into life issues and this topic in particular. For, so from the CPLC perspective, uh, why is this an important part of y'all's ministry? Um, well, a little history on the Do No Harm Conference. It's a conference that we hold every other year, and it's because we recognize that there are parts of this topic that are beyond abortion, but mm-hmm. that are integrated into it, that are a part of the overall picture. And so uh, that's why we do the conference, and we bring in the medical professionals, and we focus on that. And this conference also offers continuing education credits for not only medical professionals, um, but deacons and teachers, nurses, psychologists, a whole array of education credits available. And for this topic particularly, it's important because... Um, we are seeing it every day. Um, it, it is our sexuality is the foundation of the life movement. So our gift of sexuality is what gives us the gift of life. And it's how God created us. And, um, and then it's, therefore, it's how we need to respect and protect each other. Um, and I've seen it in my own children. They've had friends who have gone through some of these things that Jason just described, um, with friends who have gone to a different school and then experienced these questions and then told my child that they can't be friends with them because my children don't agree with mm. those positions. Wow. And I'm like, yay, my children. <clears throat> but then I'm canceled. like, right. <laughs> but then I'm like, I just want to pray for this little, this friend of hers that is, so confused. And so these conferences are so important um, for the formation, not only of our youth, but this conference is geared not towards the youth, but towards the adults that are working with youth and working with out in our community, bringing those Catholic teachings into the everyday life. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank also donors, uh, Strake Foundation, the Catholic Foundation, St. Thomas More Society in the Diocese of Dallas. Uh, you know, without them, I'm sure it would be, it'd be harder to put on a conference like this. Do No Harm Conference, Mar- March 26, 8 a.m. to 4.40 p.m. in person and also live stream from St. Rita Catholic Church in Dallas. Professional uh, continuing education credits are available, as Jacqueline has mentioned. DoNoHarmConference.org is the website. I want to ask you, Jacqueline, about a few of these speakers. I want to leave um, uh, Dr. Uh, Cretella for uh, Dr. Thompson since uh, she's a, a, a doctor and you might be able to speak uh, of her. Um, it sounds like she, she's really uh, a great, great speaker to have at this conference. Uh, other speakers, uh, Mary Hassan, Paul, Roos, and oh, who's also a, a doctor as well. Speak about some of them and a little bit of their background and what they'll be talking about. Definitely. So our goal with our speakers was to provide a variety of both medical, legal, and then theological, since we're coming from that Catholic perspective, um, all those perspectives in relationship to sexual identity and what's going on um, with that in our society. And so... Uh, to do that, we brought in um, Mary Hasten is going to be speaking from the legal perspective. She will be doing two talks for us, and she's going to talk about how this cultural, the culture is impacted with policy and in um, 
the different policies that we need to put in place to protect ourselves legally from the gender identity issues. And um, and then our final speaker, Paul Ruse, is going to talk about the scientific evidence uh, for medical management of gender dys- dysphoria. And this whole time we're approaching this with that medical um, source of information related to gender dysphoria, not trying to use the buzzwords or anything that our society likes to put on it, but instead talking about what's really happening with that person who is in need of our prayer and our love and true healing. Yes, and Dr. Thompson, Dr. Jeff Thompson here as well with the Catholic Medical Guild of Dallas. Uh, Michelle uh, Critella, Dr. Michelle Critella, immediate past executive director of the American College of Pediatricians. Uh, and uh, that, that's, a, that's a big speaker. And what will she speak about? Can you tell us a little bit about her? <clears throat> well, she'll, she'll be sort of summarizing uh, and speaking about uh, all the aspects uh, mm-hmm. that the, the psychological aspects, uh, the medical aspects, which Dr. Cruz will go into uh, great detail about. He's a pediatric endocrinologist at uh, Washington University in St. Louis. Um, and she'll give you uh, uh, examples of uh, and talk about uh, what what to expect. Um, like, much like uh, Jason said, um, you, can, you can approach this the wrong way and really... Uh, push away uh, people mm-hmm. um, and and do them harm um, in your approach and so she'll talk about um, the the best approaches uh, to this uh, condition uh, I, I want to just ask you you mentioned about how the name of the group had changed from the physicians guild to the medical guild of Dallas for those who are listening and of course we're, we're primarily talking about this conference but if they're interested in the medical guild itself uh, who is Who's it for? Is it nurses or chiropractors or just doctors of all sorts? Or uh, who who can uh, be part of this group? Anybody who thinks they're a healthcare professional can be part of this group. Uh, <laughs> if, if they so just think they are, if they well, yes, actually. Uh, okay. So you mentioned I'm a mom, nurse, uh, well, <laughs> doctor, mom, maybe. Um, um, but uh, nurses, uh, chiropractors, uh, um, advanced practice. Uh, Nurses, dentists. Uh, we have a we have a, a active dentist. Um, so anybody who, okay. who takes care of a person's health. And uh, I saw a lady at Walmart the other day. She had a sh- uh, sweater on that said "University of Motherhood." Uh, I thought, yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> probably learned more there uh, learn than in school. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a and, PhD doctor. And uh, Jacqueline, who um, who is welcome to attend? Tell us about some of the nuts and bolts. Do they need to register? Is there a cost? Uh, can just some guy like me who's you know not involved in this directly just show up or you're or, most welcome okay, to come so anybody dave. can come right anyone who's friends okay. with dave can come okay. um so really the conference is open to anyone's interested in the topic so um while we talk about professional education credits that are being in uh you know, offered. Uh, it's not just for the medical professionals. It's yeah. for anyone who really just wants to learn more about what is gender dysphoria medically. What does that mean um, psychologically? How do we treat people who are dealing with this issue in their life uh, theologically? How do we approach that from the Catholic perspective? So all who are um, interested in this topic are welcome to attend. And if you happen to be one of those of the professional mindset, then you may get continuing education credits for it. But really, we just we want people to come and get this information and this truth. All right. And it may be a little off, off uh, question, but if somebody, a parent, 
has is is involved in this right now and their 12 13 year old child just came up and you know broke the news that you know they're having uh, gender uh confusion is this the kind of thing where you come with the child or do you come as an adult and uh you know would the, would the, the kid himself benefit from this or or i think this is the homework that jason talked about yeah. so this is where the parent comes and gathers the information and learns how they can um educate themselves in order yeah. to then approach the situation with the child or the youth that they are involved with yeah, and uh, Dr. Thompson, uh, oftentimes, I don't know if this is the case in Texas, uh, doctors are limited in what they're even allowed to do. I think about, uh, like with um, homosexuality in some states, you're not even allowed to provide uh, any kind of guidance for somebody who, who isn't comfortable in, in, you know, in their state. What is the state of the medical uh, world right now in regard to this Um it's it's all I mean hitting people hard right now. But uh, do you do you know people that are they are, are professional doctors that are in this field specifically? And, and from a, from the the medical standpoint, what what would you what advice would you give people who are listening? Yeah, it, it varies uh, quite a bit state to state, and so there are states in in our country where it's uh, illegal for a doctor yeah. to uh, counsel a person to uh, not basically follow their heart. Uh, yeah. as it were um, not so uh, yet in Texas and we hope it never gets that way um, but uh, and I do know uh, there are doctors uh, in in uh, Dallas in Texas who are uh, still free to practice uh, medicine according to their Catholic uh, uh, and Christian beliefs so uh, it is uh, it's possible to find those people all right. Well, thank you very much for taking time out of what I know is a very busy schedule for being with us. Dr. Jeff Thompson, a local nephrologist and uh, um, with the, the Catholic Medical Guild of Dallas. Uh, Jacqueline, I'll give you the last word. We're out of time. Uh, just give us the nuts and bolts. If somebody's listening, I'm interested. I want to learn more about this. Go to do, do no harm org, and uh, they can register, right? Right. You just gave the nuts and bolts, the website. So, yeah, do no harmconference.org is the website. They can register there. And if they're going to get continuing education credits, they can look up the information and register appropriately in that way. And as a reminder, this is both an in-person and a live stream event. So if you are from out of town and you won't be in town in Dallas on March 26th, you can join us online. All right. Uh, we're out of time. Thanks also to Cecil Anderson for running the board. And thank you for uh, everybody representing these two wonderful groups, Catholic Pro-Life Community and also the Catholic Medical Guild of Dallas and our two guests, Jacqueline Smith and Dr. Jeff Thompson. And, uh, of course, Annette Kearns, who uh, set this all up. We appreciate her help as well. This has been the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Don't forget that website, donoharmconference.org. March 26th, it's a Saturday, 8 a.m. to 4.40 p.m., in person and live stream from St. Rita Catholic Church in Dallas. Thanks for listening. God bless you. If you just experienced damages from the most recent severe weather, you need a professional to guide you through the insurance process. Hi, I'm Mari Buford with Buford Roofing and Construction and a proud member of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Please beware of the door-to-door, fast-talking, high-pressure salesman that insists you sign a contract now. Take your time, weigh your options, and let a professional be your guide. We may be reached at our website, BufordRoofing.com, or by phone at 817-329-ROOF. 
Hi, this is Dave Palmer with some exciting news regarding our Monday Good News Show, which airs during the noon hour each week. Uh, this Monday, March 14th, we're welcoming the Catholic pro-life community to join us for a CPLC segment each second Monday of the month. And on Monday, live during their segment beginning at 12.30 p.m., they will make the official announcement of who will be the speaker at their April 30th Bishop's Pro-Life Dinner. Be sure to tune in to the Good News Show this coming Monday beginning at noon. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. I hope your Lent is going well now that we are a couple weeks into it and uh, that you're having a good weekend as well. My name is Dave Palmer, executive director here at the station, host of this program. I love doing this because I have met... I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of just wonderful, wonderful local Catholics and lay people and priests and religious and nuns and uh, just folks doing great things here uh, to build up the body of Christ in North Texas. And today is not going to be any exception to that. I do want to thank Diane Xavier for running the board. Uh, my guest is Father Andy Kometz, and he is the parochial vicar at St. Bernard of Clairvaux Parish in Dallas, and it's interesting because as of the time that we are doing this interview, uh, he's only been at the parish for a week, <laughs> and so they threw him right into the the radio interview as a, as a new priest of the parish. And so, Father Andy, uh, uh, thanks so much for for being on the air and saying welcome to North Texas. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Good to be with you guys, so, and so, good to be uh, here at Saint Bernard's here in Dallas. Yeah, so you do you do pronounce it Saint Bernard or is it Bernard? We always have that that question. Uh, does it matter? Well, I guess I guess uh, since I'm so new, maybe I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> but Bernard or Bernard? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somebody said the dog is Bernard, the the saint is Bernard. So I, I'm not sure, but um, it sounds like you you'll go either way with that. How, how long yeah, have you, how long yeah. has you been a priest? I was ordained in May of 2019. Oh, okay. So you're a you're kind of a baby priest, just a few years, huh? Yeah, yeah. Just just recently ordained. Okay. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And uh, boy, so you're you're pretty much your whole priesthood has been uh, during a pandemic for the most part, hasn't it? Yeah, that's been interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. But right after, yeah, right after the ordination, all the all the different things with the pandemic started. So it's been a <laughs> It's been an interesting uh, last couple of years, I think, for everyone. Yeah, uh, you your religious order uh, is the, and I, you you better explain it. I know it has to do with the incarnate word. You have an IVE after your name, and and most of, the, if not all, the priests of recent uh, history at Saint Bernard of Clairvaux have been IVE priests. Can you explain the, that religious order and also what attracted you to it? So the IVE, um, it's a. Uh, it's a religious order of missionary priests that started in Argentina in the mid-80s, uh, so it's a relatively young community. Um, and the charism or the focus of the community is um, the evangelization of the culture, which means that um, through the principles of the gospel, through the many things that we receive through our faith, through our Catholic faith, um, we seek to allow each individual, each, each individual person, each individual family, individual cultures to perfect themselves, so to maintain their individuality, um, but also to be perfected, so purified of their, of their sins um, and to grow in virtue. So this is kind of the, the focus of the, the charism that um, we, we feel like basically in this time, John Paul II calls it a re-evangelization of the people. Um, 
this is the the missionary focus of the community to to evangelize the cultures. Um, and so I I met the community. Um, I actually have a a sister, a religious sister, who's in the the, the female branch of the community, and she entered uh, the religious life a few years before I did. And so I, when she entered, I, I started to get to know some of the priests and I was just really attracted to the joy, the missionary spirit. But anyway, so I, uh, the IVE priests have been, they were invited by the, the former Bishop of Dallas to, to take care of St. Bernard's. Um, and so we've been here for, I don't know exactly how many years, 10 to 15 years. Um, and so, anyway, recently I was I was assigned with two of the other Ivy priests here, um, here in Dallas. Mm. What have your other um, you know assignments been uh, since 2019 when you were ordained? Where else have you been? Well, we have a high school seminary in uh, in Mankato, Minnesota. So during my diaconate year, and then the first couple months after my ordination, I was helping. Um, at uh, the parish and also the high school seminary. Um, then after that, I was assigned to a, an English-speaking mission that we have in the Middle East um, that uh, we recently began, or we, we kind of inherited a mission from the Capuchin priest that had been there for a long time. Um, and so I was there for a year and a half. Um, and then recently I came back. I, I spent a little time in the Washington, D.C. area. Um and then I was very, very happy to hear that uh, I would be going to Dallas. So I've actually, in the two or two and a half years of my priesthood, I've I've moved around quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's um, kind of what you sign up for, though, isn't it? You you just yeah, you're, you're at the, you're, yeah, they're at the mercy right. of your superior wherever they want to send you. And I guess in some ways it's kind of an exciting lifestyle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's the we call it the missionary adventure. So um, <laughs> not not always. I mean, many times a priest will. Um, it's not, it's not, uh, necessarily the case that a priest will always move around all the time, but there are many priests that go many different places, many different countries. So that's, that's definitely part of the, the formation and the, uh, the idea of the, of the missionary life. Yeah, I, yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about the parish, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux Parish in Dallas? I know it's uh, it's got a long history. I think uh, I remember doing a little bit of research on it. I think it goes back to just right after World War II, maybe forty seven or so. And I don't expect you to know the whole history because you've only been there a week. But uh, from what you've what you've picked up in a week or what you know about the parish, uh, what's unique or special about it? Um, I would say that. From what, and I visited here once or twice before, um, but at least currently the the parish is it's very nice because um, it's a diverse parish. You have a, a good number of, of course, traditionally a, an English speaking parish. You also now have a um, a very dynamic group of Spanish speaking people that are more the majority now, um, but. It's a very nice uh, representation of the church, the diversity of the church. You have different cultures, different languages. And then also it's kind of the setting of the parish is nice because it's it's in a very calm, a very nice neighborhood. You have a, a school attached to the church. Um, so there's a lot of youthfulness, the children. Um, so I, I'm still learning a lot about the parish, but it's it's certainly a very like a, a very joyful, lively spirit to the parish, um, which normally is a 
you know, a sign that the, that God is working there, that, that the Holy Spirit has um, a lot of things that uh, he would like to, to do with the people of the parish. And um, so it seems like probably the thing that I've noticed the most is just the, the dynamic uh, quality of the church here. Yeah, very nice. I, I probably should have asked you this previously, but what what drew you to the priesthood uh in the first place and how i'm always curious how young of a of a you know boy or a young man you were when that that you know god started to put that uh inspiration into your into your your heart and your mind how how old were you i was i mean i was already an adult um i graduated from college um and i guess everybody has a different a different story but for me it was um you know, I was, I had graduated from college, I had a good job, but it just, it seemed like, uh, you know, I was still thinking there must be something more. Um, so that was, I mean, for me personally, that was kind of the, uh, some of the reason I really started thinking. I, I knew a lot of priests and I saw, they were people that I always respected, that I had a lot of mentors who were priests. So for me, it was more, you know, I started having some, some freedom in the world, some success. And I just didn't quite feel like I, you know, there was still something that I was searching for that was more. And in hindsight, I, I see that that was, um, that was because there was a vocation there. But honestly, when I was younger, it wasn't something, you know, when I was a teenager or even younger, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something I thought about too much, but it's also, Sometimes that's just the case because the environment that you're in, I mean, I, I was from a, a good Catholic family, but uh, it, it was just something that it wasn't really presented too much, like when I was younger. Um, but certainly when I became older and I started comparing, you know, the life of the priest to other things, it became more more attractive and something I wanted to pursue. Oh, interesting. And then you mentioned that your sister is also uh, a religious as well. So uh, that, that must be, your parents must be so proud <laughs> uh, to have a, a priest and a religious sister. Father Andy Kometz is my guest. Uh, he is the parochial vicar at St. Bernard of Clairvaux Parish in Dallas. It's in East Dallas. Uh, I think I've only been there a couple of times. I think it's over there in the, the White Rock Lake area, as I recall. Um, Father, uh-huh. you know, the I couldn't help but notice that there seems to be a lot of news coming out of St. Bernard of Clairvaux Parish lately. All, all good. The, my, my wife and daughters went to a, a Jason Everett event uh, a few weeks ago at the parish, and now uh, this past week, y'all have had this big parish mission that started on, I, I think it was March 3rd and going through tomorrow, the, the 13th. Um, I know the parish mission is just about over at the time that this airs, but can you tell us what kind of the theme and the purpose of that mission has been? So this mission, um, it's something that, um, especially in the community, the, the IBE, it's something that um, we really like to do. We call them popular missions, um, where you have a week and a half or two weeks of a, a more intense period to really um, to infuse the parish with with you know the life of the the church. So um, in this mission. Basically, what we've been doing is um, during the day, we've been visiting a lot of the houses in the neighborhood. Um, and then in the afternoons, there's many activities for, for the kids, activities for the families, the adults. Um, each night, we've been uh, having a missionary sermon based on a different topic for each day. 
Um, and then many other things. We've been having a, uh, a procession each day in the evening at 6 p.m. from starting from different parts of the neighborhood. Um, so this is the, the idea of the mission is to make it easier for both those who are active in the parish to, to draw deeper into the into the gifts of the church. And then also for those who, for one reason or another, um, have, stri- you know, have strayed or have not been part of the church to give them an opportunity to be presented with that, um, those things that the church sees as objectively good. So also a time to invite um, other people um, to discover, you know, that peace, that joy of the church. So this is kind of the the idea of the mission. Yeah. The the house to house is really intriguing. And I, I know oftentimes if somebody sees a missionary come up to the, the door and ring the doorbell, they think it's either a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness. And uh, to find uh-huh. out it's a Catholic, is that going to be the mostly the, the priests like yourself and Father Jaime or, or are, are the lay people in the in the parish doing this as well? Or And how many people will be involved in this, uh, you know, kind of door to door outreach? Well, I, yeah, I should have mentioned that um, we, for this mission, um, invited both um, the male novitiate class um, of our community, so 15 men that are in their first year of the religious life they study in out, right outside of Washington, D.C., and then also uh, the female uh, novitiate class, also about 15 young ladies who are who are recently uh, pursuing the religious life. So we have almost 50 people that have come from uh, the Washington, D.C. area, um, and they have been the ones that have been mostly doing the um, the house visits during the morning and the afternoons. And then uh, the other priests, uh, Father Jaime, myself, Father Luis, um, were usually during the mission around the parish for hearing confessions and, and those other things. Yeah. Are they going to throw you right into uh, everything and giving talks and homilies? Or are, are you, since you're so new, are you just going to kind of sit back and observe <laughs> this year? Are you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, actually, um, I've been preaching in the evenings at 7 p.m. We've been having a mission sermon, one in Spanish, one in English. Um, so I've been giving the sermons in English uh, for the mission. So yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> as soon as I got here, I was, no, no rest. I was uh, involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you mentioned how the charism of the religious community is the, uh, the evangelization of the culture. And what do you see as the, the biggest challenges? I know there's a lot and, you know, there's probably a list we could make, but uh, you, you know, you personally, or, or perhaps the kind of the focus of the religious order in general, what, what, what is it that you see as the, the biggest task in that mission? Um, that's a good question. I think probably one of the biggest challenges is um, some of the the underlying <clears throat> assumptions of our culture, especially the developed world of, there tends to be uh, a movement uh, to deny a person their individuality. Mm-hmm. Um so sometimes there are there are different reasons that uh, uh, sometimes it seems like there's a growing tendency to to kind of lump everybody together and not really to acknowledge that each person or each culture is is an individual. Now, of course, there are 
a lot of things that we have in common. We we share one face. We have we share one one humanity. Um, but um, especially like in the universities, um, we put a lot of emphasis on a on a good study of um, of philosophy. I, this seems to be one of the challenges is that sometimes without us even being conscious, there's a tendency, kind of a, a materialism that uh, it can be very you know, difficult for the faith because people first have to see that they, you know, they have a, a self-knowledge of who they are or their culture. This is very important for the, for the grace to work um, and to be fruitful in a, in, a po- in a person or in a culture. Interesting. Uh, my, Father Andy Kemp commences my guest, uh, Procio Vicar, St. Bernard of Clairvaux Parish in Dallas. And uh, as we mentioned, the parish mission uh, began in, um, gosh, right around, I guess, I think that was Ash Wednesday, perhaps, uh, the, the 3rd of March, or, or maybe right after Ash Wednesday, and going through... No, was, yeah, we started Ash Wednesday. <clears throat> oh, it was Ash Wednesday, okay. And then goes through, uh, as of the time of this playing, uh, tomorrow the 13th, Sunday the 13th, and, um, you know, I know most people listening have missed, you know, most of the mission so far, but tomorrow appears to be a big day on the 13th, uh, with a procession and then also a potluck dinner. Can, Father, can you talk about what, what people can still participate in if they want to jump in and uh, come to the final day? Yeah, sure. On uh, Tomorrow on Sunday, we will, we've will. we been doing processions each day of the mission, but we will have tomorrow at 12 noon um, the procession of the Blessed, the blessed Sacrament uh, going through the neighborhood and finishing in the in the parish. So... Um, this will be a nice event, and then after, there will be several masses, several Spanish masses in the afternoon. Um, after those masses finish at 5 p.m., we'll have a potluck dinner. Um, so it will be kind of the last uh, chance to to see all of the missionaries. There's, um, Like I said, we have almost 50 people coming from out of town, many different uh um, young people that are entering the religious life. So it, it's, a, it's a nice event, and it'll be kind of the last evening to, to be around the missionaries. Uh, they'll be doing different, uh, usually in the evenings, they've been putting on, you know, different skits, playing music. So it, it's a very nice environment. So um, all would be invited to to join us for that last yeah, day of boy, mission. That, that, that would be a really exciting to be with that many, uh, what I'm sure are very fired up young people uh, entering into religious life and in formation. And I notice uh, now that uh, this evening on the 12th, there's a small bonfire scheduled. <laughs> there's a, there's a, mass <laughs> at, a mass at 5 o'clock and then a small bonfire. That, that, that should be fun. Is it going to be s'mores or you know, you, do, do you have any idea what's going to be done around the bonfire? Honestly, you never know. You never know around here. But, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have the, we're gonna have the bonfire um, during the day. Um, there's a retreat taking place within the mission for those receiving first communion and also confirmation. Um, so at the end of that that mini retreat for the children in the evening, uh, we're gonna have a 
the bonfire at night. So I think there's there's a good chance there could be s'mores. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, yeah, now you've said on the radio, so now there has to be, Father. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, for the address is 1404 Old Gate Lane, Dallas, Texas, 7521. Uh, looks like, uh, I think, is that an 8 or a 9? Uh, 7521, I've got a scribble. Uh, 7521. 218. Okay, so you can find it online as well. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, Catholic Church. And uh, Father Andy, it's been a delight getting to know you and talking with you. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we let you go about about the mission or the parish or anything else that's that's on your heart? No, I just want to ask for everybody's uh, for the, their prayers for the fruit of the mission and also for the safe travels back for um, all of the missionaries. They'll be going back on on Tuesday to to Washington D.C. So, but thank you to to all of the, the parishioners and all the, the people around here for their prayers. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas. Catholic radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. 